Welcome to Live, Laugh, Talk. I'm your host, James Graham, and I'm elated to be here with you today. We will start our podcast with a discussion on a world issue entitled, One Who Does Not Accept Correction Succumbs to Corruption. Then we will transition to our segment, How Did We Get Here?, followed by our hobbies and special interest section, and then conclude with our sunflower message. You're encouraged to share your thoughts on this subject and many others on our website, livelabtalk.com, or by email at admin at livelabtalk.com. And if listening on Spotify, you can add a voice memo as well as comments and participate in our poll. Also, wherever you listen to the podcast, please follow us so you are notified of the new episodes when they're released. In addition, please rate us a five as we work so hard to gain your appreciation. The topic that we will begin with is entitled, One Who Does Not Accept Correction Succumbs to Corruption. Let's take it in. It's not far-fetched to state that none of us love correction. Punishment of any kind for prior mistakes was surely not enjoyable. Growing up, I had what parents call a fast mouth. Well, let's just call it what it is, quick wit. Hey, I found it to be either a blessing or a curse. It was a blessing because I was never short of words, whether in a debate or for using a pickup line. It was a curse because I said exactly what was on my mind. Of course, that never pleased my parents. My mother had several stories she would tell her friends about how my fast mouth led to even faster punishment. Well, like it or not, her punishment provided me with the correction I need. Now I temper that quick wit. I watch my words carefully. No, I'm not perfect, but I remember my mother's words, which were used to guide my words. In other words, I accepted correction. Today, too few want to be corrected. They would rather walk the line and call it freedom. If you offer advice or give any sort of nudge in the correct way, they look at you like you have three hates. Say, and so because their so-called freedom actually imprisons those around them. Well, one thing is for sure. If someone never accepts correction in any form, he will become corrupt. Is that the reason why we see so much corruption today? Think about it. When the word corruption came up in a conversation years past, it usually was used in reference to a politician. And that's a shame within itself, too, since these are the men and women running our country. But now that word is used in reference to our religious leaders and organizations, Wall Street advisors, insurance agencies and companies, collegiate institutions, and the list is in. Why? 
Why are we bombarded with shameless corruption in every direction? Because none of the individuals or institutions that ended up corrupt heeded correction on a moral level. None. If your state or federal representative was in prison, chances are someone tried to help him walk the moral way to no avail. If your pastor or your religious organization thinks it is so close to God that only he can correct them, you can wrap your arms around the fact that corruption is quickly becoming a part of its DNA. Which leads us to the theory of why we as a country are flooded with debt. Corruption of insurance companies, banks, and Wall Street advisors have led us there. Many on the opposing side of these bankers and insurance companies say there were warnings given years ago to change the corrupting ways of greed. Needless to say, those warnings just weren't heeded. In short, correction is needed. We must embrace it. Children accept the discipline of well-meaning parents and teachers. Parents, raise your children with good moral conscience and discipline. Discipline them in love so that they remember why not to walk a course. They should not avoid a course out of fear, but out of knowledge. Politicians, listen to your inner conscience and listen to the moral, honest constituents around you and not your pocketbook. Bankers, walk to the beat of the public drum and avoid the schemes that drain the whole, yet enrich the few. Religionists, accept the fact that all paths to God are not straight, clear cut paths without potholes. Thus to think your religion or your view is the correct one needing no refinement will lead you down a path of ruination as well. Let's all work on ourselves. Let's all accept correction and let's all strive to avoid the pitfalls of corruption. This topic was first mentioned to me after the very first podcast we recorded. It was sent to me in an email and I had to ponder over it. I really have. We have gone into several podcasts now and I frankly have avoided the subject. And not because I'm afraid of it or because it scares me of the backlash that may come, but the very fact that it breaks my heart. And that subject is the deaths at hand by mass murderers. You see, the only reason that we're coming today with this subject is because we have gotten to the point 
that we're six months into the year, six months into the year, yet there have been 325 mass shootings. Mass shootings as defined as more than three people shot during an incident, shot and or killed. Let me correct that. Whereas mass murders in the United States, that would be the killing of three or more people at one time and in one location. So 325 mass shootings in six months, which has led to of those, 25 were mass murders. And if we stop and look at the amount of violence that's happening. And I'm going to, to give you a website to go to. It's called gunviolencearchive.org. Gunviolencearchive.org. So if we look at these instances, within one weekend, we had 10 said mass shootings. In a weekend, in a week's time, seven days, a staggering 33 mass shootings. 33. Now, I'm not going to be one to come on a podcast and start talking about taking guns from people. That's not where I'm going to take this conversation. There's an, there's an amendment to protect people who won't have the right to carry a gun. So I'm not going there with that. What's a little bit tiring though are cliches. We get the cliche that guns don't kill people. People kill people. Well, that's true. People do kill people. But the issue is what do people kill people with? I took the hard time and liberty to stop and think about mass murders with any other instrument. So I started with mass murders in the United States. I, I'm only dealing with the United States. But mass murders by poisoning. Well, only one came to mind. That was the incident with Jim Jones. But that was not an America. Yes, it was an American that carried it out. That was in Guyana, where it actually happened. So we can't say, well, there's a lot of people getting killed by poisoning. So thought of another instrument, knives. In the United States, in our history, we've had 20 mass stabbings in the United States, 20, 10 of which are categorized as mass murders because three or more people die. Two happened within the last year, none so far this year. Now, that's not to say that we're going to minimize death by any form or any instrument. Instrument. 
but there was only 20. There's 325 in six months by gun violence. So do we really want to hang on to that cliche? Is that where we want to go? What we've got to do as a people, we've got to be concerned. I was talking to my father about this subject. As you know, I've mentioned him many times. He's the one that mentioned to me to have a podcast in the first place. And he's the one that I consult on a lot of subjects. Why? Why this one? Well, because my dad calls me. There'll be a mass shooting somewhere. He'll call me. And he'll say, son, did you hear about this one? Son, did you hear about this other one? And it's heartbreaking. Sometimes I'll miss his call. He'll text me and tell me about it. Two days ago, my dad called and said, there were so many today. We're talking about mass shootings. There were so many today. I can't remember the number. In one day. And that day that he was speaking of, there were four. And we're not talking about cities that, you know, we know there's a lot of violence that happens. It's, it's sad. It's sad that we have cities that we can probably name during this podcast where you would just expect such. That's not the case. That's not the case at all. These are small cities, cities that you wouldn't recognize right off. And then these are states. Some of these states have multiple, multiple mass shootings. And just, we're talking about six months into the year. If we were to just pick on one state, let's just say we were to, to pull the state of Texas out. In one six-month period, Texas has had 32 mass shootings in the United States in six months. 32. And they are simply not alone. This is happening all over the country. So much so that I am sure this shocks you when we talk about the number. Because if we listen to our news reports and they were just going to focus on mass shootings by gun, it will consume a whole day's news. The victims are countless. It's to the point that we have to stop and look. We may say, oh, well, that's not quite a, a mass murder because there were no people that died. Or maybe there was one person that died. We start minimizing, you know? When multiple people are killed, yes, that's, that's worldly. That's, oh, man, we got to stop and talk. But when multiple people are shot, that's just as important. Because we don't know how far those injuries extend. We don't know if these people are paralyzed or what their lives will be after. 
not only physically, but mentally. We don't know how many families were ruined by that vicious day. And even though a person might have not been killed and they might have not been injured, what if they were in sight, in view of that shooting, in the presence of it? How did it affect them? How will it affect them for the entire rest of their lives? Yes, friends, we've got to stop and think about these things. Again, I'm not your local politician. What I am is a concerned citizen, one so concerned that when I get in my car and I think about going to the grocery store, the hair on the back of my neck raises. Why? There have been mass shootings in grocery stores. When I think about going to one of my favorite pastimes, to the movies, there's a layer of fear. There have been mass shootings in movie theaters. Yes, anywhere you can think of. And it was just years ago, maybe a decade ago. That was unthinkable to even say a foul word in a religious place, much less shootings and murders. Yes, friends. When we think of going to our religious place, there are thoughts of the mass shootings that's been there as well. As a matter of fact, there's nowhere we can go where it hasn't happened. Our precious children going to school have been victims multiple times. So when we get to the point that in one weekend, again, we'll say these numbers, one weekend, 33 mass shootings. I correct that. In one weekend, there were 10. In one week, there was 33. In one six-month period, there were 325 mass shootings. We have to ask ourselves, how did we get here? Sneakerheads. Yes, being a sneakerhead will be our subject for our special interests and hobby section. And I have to admit that I am a sneakerhead, but I wasn't always. It's strange, it happened to me later on in life. In my younger years, when everybody else had their sneakers, I wore penny loafers. Because in my head, I was Michael Jackson's little brother. So I dressed like Michael with the penny loafers. But eventually as I got older, I took on corporate job roles and 
other types of opportunities that came to me. So I wore dress shoes, as that was the norm. And I'm going to say was the norm because we're going to get into a little bit later how the norm has changed. So the sneakerhead thing didn't come into my life until after I'd been in the corporate world for a while. I'd done a few things in life. And then I decided to go back to school for what I mentioned in Monday's podcast when I began to study cosmetology. Yes, I went back to school later in life because I just wanted to do something fun. And cosmetology seemed that way to me. And a friend of mine, cosmetologist, had a lot of fun with opening salons and the opportunities that he had. And he talked me into it. So there you go. I go to school and one of my teachers, his name is Will. Will's a very stylish guy. Now, Will wore Chuck Taylor. He wore Chuck Taylors every day. Now, when I say every day, I mean he changed them up. They matched his outfit perfectly. Some of them were special ones and they were only a single season. But he would put those Chuck Taylors on and walk around all day. And I have to admit, he stood out more than any other educator with those Chuck Taylors. Now, they looked absolutely perfect with his outfit. Whether he dressed it down or dressed it up, he had on those Chuck Taylors. So eventually, I started wearing Chuck Taylors too. So while he was my educator, while I was in school, I started adding them into the mix. After a while, I started buying more and more because they went with different outfits. Pretty soon, I had some very special ones myself, some ones that went with DC Comics, The Simpsons. We could go on all day long with the special edition Converse's that I began to acquire. But the ones that stood out in my mind the most was we had a formal event at our school. And I had patent leather Chuck Taylors and wore it with a tuxedo. So the beginning of my sneakerhead phase came much later than most. Some of these folks start out as children. Some of them are high school, college age, me beyond that. We're not going to talk about my age right now, but beyond all of that. The fun part of all of it is that I actually enjoyed it. So once I left school, once I graduated school, and then I became an educator, guess what I wore every day? Now, I was a little different than our educator, Will. He dressed it down a little bit most of the time, and then he dressed it up. I was dressy all the time. So with my suits, I had on my Chuck Taylors. They became a staple. Everybody wanted to see what I would have on the next day. So much so, I started posting them on social media. So there's hundreds of pictures out there of my outfit matching the Chuck Taylors. But as I began to get older, I realized that I had more than a Chuck Taylor finish. Now, I'm going to say that Chuck Taylor, more than anything, is my sneaker of choice. And I know you might fall out of your chair when I tell you this, but I have 213 pair 
of just Chuck Taylors. Of that 213, I'm not going to sit here and tell y'all bought every pair. Some of them were gifts from my students, gifts from the school. Whenever somebody thought about giving me a gift, they decided upon giving me a pair of Chuck Taylors. And that was cool. I loved it. Worked. But I started to look at other shoes too. So I don't just have a huge Chuck Taylor collection, which takes up a whole section in my walk-in closet. I have other brands as well. I have Jordans. I have all different types of Adidas, limited edition shoes. Uh, got limited edition Air Force Ones, and, uh, limited edition uh, Adidas, a, a pair of of Dame. Of uh, Damian Lillard Adidas. They call it Stainware. And those are Ric Flair edition. So it's got Ric Flair boa feathers all over. Love those shoes. I have some that uh, look like the Cookie Monster and all kind of different things. My closet is filled with shoes that honestly I may never get around to wearing. There was a person who posted online. They said if they didn't get through their shoe collection, wearing it within a year, they're going to start giving theirs away. Well, I'm not doing that. <laughs> My shoe collection is just that. It's a collection. And some of them I frankly may never wear because, you know, they're special to me. We want to look at the, think about it. This is not just a thing with me, just my hobby. This is a worldwide trend. Yes, 60.6 billion, yes, billion with a B, sneakers are bought every year. 60.6 billion dollars, I should say, in sneakers every year. Now, that is an unimaginable number. And we see the sneakerhead trend. To the point that if you can't get that shoe, like some shoes that come out, you're not going to get it. It's going to sell out immediately. And if you're like me, I've got huge feet. I'm going to tell you guys, I, got, I wear a size 15. I'm not going to be able to get the latest, the best, whatever off the shelf. Usually it's sold out at its release. So I'm going to have to go through a secondary source. Now, these secondary sources that have come along the world, they're the world of uh, resale market. And that global resale market has led into a $6 billion industry itself. It was at one time just a community driven culture and people bought and sell. It was local. And maybe you would find a pair on eBay or something like that. Now, that's an industry within itself. There are resale stores in your local mall. A $6 billion industry within itself. So I'm not alone in that. Also, the resale boom has led into some shoes even being considered classics and have sold at auctions. Some of the most expensive publicly sold sneakers were Michael Jordan's Nike Air Jordan. It was the most valuable sneaker that has ever been sold in an auction. So the ones that he wore was called the last dance and 
1998. They sold in 2023 for $2.2 million. $2.2 million. Now, your sneaker collection, you may have some expensive sneakers, but I doubt if you got some worth that much. But not to be outdone, the Nike Air Yeezys won at the Grammys in 2008 by Kanye West sold for $1.8 million two years ago. And Michael Jordan has conquered the charts. Whether it was the rookie season shoe he wore in 1984 that brought $1.4 million, or his shattered backboard shoe that brought 615000 the one they called it a Nike Air Jordan 1 that sold in that he wore in 1985 that sold for 560000 All of these shoes are what you would call now classics. And the market is filled with sneakerheads that will buy these luxury shoes that just put in a, a, a glass box somewhere to never be touched. It's amazing how the economy has changed. But I mentioned earlier, we would mention too, later on in the podcast, and we've gotten to that point, where we would talk about how styles of dress has changed. See, in my corporate world experience, I had to wear a suit, a tie, and I had to throw in a pair of dress shoes. Now it's acceptable to wear sneakers with that suit. Matter of fact, if you watch sports channels lately, whether whoever it is, ESPN, FS1, you'll see the panelists. They'll get up and walk over to a screen somewhere, and nine times out of ten, with their suit, yes, they've got on a pair of sneakers. And these are expensive sneakers. They probably cost more than the dress shoes. So we can't look down on these people and go, why do they have on sneakers? And they're on the news. It has changed the entire world. So, yes, it became one of my hobbies. I enjoy it. I actually enjoy looking at the styles and how fashion has changed. And like with my motorcycle, I'm not stuck onto one brand. It's not just one that I like. I like all types of sneakers and I like all different brands and I tell you the next time you're out shopping for a pair of sneakers hopefully you and I will run into each other but I tell you what if you're grabbing that size 15 I might just snatch it off the shelf first our sunflower message will be words of affirmation to our lady listeners out there. A very familiar poem by Maya Angelou named Phenomenal Woman. Pretty women wonder where my secret lies. I'm not cute or built to suit a fashion model size. But when I start to tell them, they think I'm telling lies. I say it's in the reach of my arms, the span of my hips, the stride of my step, 
the curl of my lips. I'm a woman, phenomenally. Phenomenal woman, that's me. I walk into a room just as cool as you please. And to a man, the fellows stand or fall down on their knees. Then they swarm around me, a hive of honeybees. I say, it's the fire in my eyes and the flash of my teeth, the swing in my waist and the joy in my feet. I'm a woman, phenomenal. Phenomenal woman, that's me. Men themselves have wondered what they see in me. They try so much, but they can't touch my inner mystery. When I try to show them, they say they still can't see. I say it's in the arch of my back, the sun of my smile, the ride of my breast, the grace of my style. I'm a woman, phenomenally. Phenomenal woman, that's me. Now you understand just why my head's not bowed. I don't shout or jump about or have to talk real loud. When you see me passing, not to make you proud. I say it's in the click of my heels, the bend of my hair, the palm of my hand, the need for my care. Cause I'm a woman, phenomenally, phenomenal woman, that's me. One of my favorite poems of all time. So beautiful. On our website, livelaughtalk.com and on Twitter at LiveLaughTalker. You can donate to support our podcast. Any and everything that you can give is appreciated. Also, remember to rate us a five on your podcast platform and tell your friends, family, and colleagues about us. We need the support. In addition to that, we will be posting on our social media platforms the pictures of sneakers, that we have in our collection. This is James and George's baby boy signing up. And as you know, I can't wait to talk with you soon.